Well, it's great to be with you. Hi, everyone. Um, if we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Mackenzie Matthews. Um, honored to be here. Great to be here. I was talking earlier with the band. I'm like, it's been a couple years since I've, since I've gotten to be here on Wednesday nights, and so I'm thrilled. I'm really excited to be here and be with you. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, like I said, my name is Mackenzie. I direct Connection at Timberline. I'm over small groups and get to do some intern stuff as well, and it's pretty fun. It's a pretty sweet gig. I am married uh, to the student ministries pastor. Some of you know him and love him. Jay, Matt, some of them is probably with your kids. How many of you are with, they're with, are any of your kids over there? Okay, I got a couple. So yeah, you guys know. He's the best, my husband. I brought a family photo, sure did. Don't have to twist my arm to bring you a family photo. We got these done, like just, I just got these photos back yesterday and I'm trying not to spam the entire internet with all of them because I think they're pretty, pretty cute. Um, a couple of announcements, I think Cam said some of them, but next week is the last uh, Wednesday night community. Uh, Brent's gonna be concluding this series on the Sacred Pathways, it's November 10th. If you come the Wednesday after that, November 17th, you will be at the business meeting. So it's just helpful for you to know. You may join the business meeting if you do that, um, where we're voting new deacons. I also wanted to highlight and mention, this is in a bulletin if you grabbed that, um, that this weekend is Missions Focus Weekend, which is really exciting. Our team works really, really hard on Missions Focus Weekend. They always do, but it's a, it's a pretty taxing weekend. It's really, really exciting. We have a mission celebration dinner that's this Sunday um, from 6 to 8, and there's still room. Tickets are $5, and so childcare is provided. You can come and hear all the wins in Timberline Missions over the last year, and there are really awesome guest speakers. You're going to hear the 2022 short-term missions trips, a chance to win prizes. So it's going to be really exciting. Just want to put that in your ear. Tickets can be purchased online or at the door. Last announcement thing, um, if you haven't had a chance to get the full packet that has all the different uh, pathways with the quiz, um, that's over here. And I think I put it in the back under that camera. So if you guys want to grab that, um, feel free to do that and grab it if you haven't already taken the quiz. But I had never heard of the Sacred Pathways before this series. Um, Pastor Brent brought it to our staff and it's how fascinating, right? It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Now, if you know me, you know I love personality tests. I am that person that talks about personality tests. Don't get me going, because I'm serious. I love them. I'm an Enneagram 3. Um, I'm an ENFP. I am a finder on the thinking wavelength. I have done a deep dive in Gallup strengths for you guys strength, strength finder people out there. Woo, empathy, communication, positivity, strategic. That's me. That's me. If that means anything to you, if you guys are personality test people, you just know me really well now. That could be. Uh, but that's a little bit about me. And personality tests I've always found to be really helpful um, to learn more about who I am and the way God made me. It's helpful for me. It also has given me compassion for others. There's this freedom when I realize we're all different, <laughs> turns out. We process the world in different ways. You all don't navigate the world like I do. And that's okay. That's beautiful, even. Gives me grace for myself and grace for you, and that's the best case scenario with any personality test thing. Sacred Pathways does that, too. It sounds like it's been really rich and helpful. I hope it has been to you. We had an opportunity in our weekly staff meeting, our staff chapel, to take the assessment, and then the following week's chapel, um, we were given just that time to explore and connect with God through one of our pathways. 
So it's funny when we were talking about it as a staff, just getting introduced to it and people started talking about their pathways and where they landed. And I remember someone who um, was the naturalist had shared, you know, I just connect with God on long runs outside. And I was like, it's not my pathway, (laughs) you know, not for me. Uh, That sensate one, you know, they're talking about the sensate. And I was like, I have been known to worship audibly over good chips and queso. I think that might fall on that. Maybe you guys are with me there. Um, I came across the aesthetics, the silence, solitude, and discipline. One, the question in the assessment specifically said, taking an overnight retreat by myself at a monastery where I could spend large amounts of time alone for days in a row. And I was like, "Mm -mm, zero, not me. Nope, 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 nope. I am conflict averse, so I did not score high for the activist. Um, I also did not score very high on caregivers, which is not very pastoral of me, I realize. My three highest were intellectual at 16, um, contemplative at 17, and the pathway we are exploring tonight, which is the enthusiast, I scored a 20. I'm just curious, how many of you scored high-ish for the enthusiast? Do you guys remember? Anyone? Okay, perfect, Margie and I. Cool. Okay, good to know. Any of you remember if you scored really low on the enthusiast? Do any of you remember the test? Maybe I should ask that first. Maybe I need to pass these out (laughs) if you know what you are. Okay, that's okay. I was just curious. The enthusiast tagline says, loving God with mystery and celebration. Mystery and celebration, which are kind of the two big words that help us understand this type of Christian. And these are some of the areas I want to spend our time together unpacking. The first is this idea of the mystery of faith. Have you ever had moments in your life when you sensed God showing up in unexpected or surprising ways? Uh, Maybe a kind of moment or circumstance where someone might have said, or you might have said, that was a God thing. That was a God moment. Maybe God gave you words out of nowhere, right? Like a a time when what you said benefited someone else, but you didn't mean to, you didn't try to. You're kind of like, where did that come from? Couldn't manufacture it. Or have you ever had moments when a prayer was answered in such a way that there's no room at all for coincidence for that? Like that moment maybe where you could have been short for rent. Let's say you're $300 short for rent one month. You pray to God to provide for you and someone anonymously gives you $300. Super clear, gift of the Lord. You know, our um, beloved pastor Foth, Dick Foth, shared a story about when he was pastoring a church. There's a young couple, um, he and his wife used to go to church, but they're not going to church much. And Foth went to see them, went to visit them. The husband was gone, but he spent some time talking with this young woman, this wife on the stoop of their home. And she shared where she was at in her faith. And specifically, she said, I walked away and I don't know how to get back. I can't get back. And Foth told her like, yeah, it's, it's a prayer, real simple. It's like a simple prayer we can do. And for whatever reason, her theology just wouldn't let her go there. She said, it's been five long years, and I just can't get back. It's been five long years, and I just can't get back. The next week, there at church, 
Foth is leading from the front. Um, and it's the very end of the message. He's wrapping up when a young man um, who's sitting two rows behind them that doesn't know this young couple that's also there, um, in the middle of it, he just shouts out, today is your day. It's been five long years, and today is your day. Doesn't know, just shut decides. <laughs> just shout it out. And she's shot up, ran right to the altar. It was a super meaningful moment. Those types of things, God kind of moments. These are the moments that first remind us how real and present and caring our God is. That he cares about us so specifically that he would use each other in one another's stories. When we see him show up so tangibly, when we see prayer miraculously answered, it energizes our faith, right? No doubt it energizes our faith. Faith is just that. It's faith. I've heard it said that the opposite of faith isn't doubt, uh, but it's certainty. With certainty, you don't need much faith. We worship, pursue, and serve an invisible God who is powerful, manifests himself to us in supernatural ways. In that sense, there's a little bit of enthusiast in all of us. But enthusiasts by temperament are particularly fed by these supernatural experiences. They're maybe more comfortable with the mystery of faith. The traditionalists, which I think I understand you guys did last week, some of you guys had traditionalists last week. A traditionalist might find comfort in ritual, the ritual of a church gathering and when we start, the time we start, the flow of service, how it goes, they love the ritual of that, like songs, announcement, message, song. You know, you're comfortable in the ritual. Enthusiasts, though, might be praying for something new, something unexpected. Ritual might at times feel stagnating to the enthusiast who is longing for fresh, new evidence of God moving and interacting in their midst. So the question for you is how comfortable are you with experiencing the mystery of faith? You know, it was interesting for me to go through this, to take this test and to score so high um, for the enthusiasts particularly as I read about it because for most of my journey following Jesus, I would not have said it was marked by supernatural expressions of faith. Um, I was a part of a community in college that I would say was I don't know, more charismatic. Um, they were passionate, they're expressive in worship, asking God to speak and often talking about how they heard him. And at the time, uh, that was not something that I felt super comfortable with. I questioned if God was actually still speaking or if he was speaking to them. I questioned at some points, I'm like, am I even saved at this point? <laughs> because I didn't experience God the way that the people around me were ex experiencing God. I felt like I wasn't on that level, if that makes sense. Maybe you understand that, maybe you understand, maybe you feel like that now. Today, I'm far more comfortable and open um, than I was then. It doesn't shake my faith like it used to. I'm more comfortable like just knowing there's some things I'm not gonna completely understand. A lot of that season of my life was rooted in more insecurity. Um, that's just where it was. But this is the part of me that was somewhat surprised <laughs> that I scored so high on 
enthusiasts, because again, compared to them, I didn't see myself that way. Now, it's important to note a few things when we're talking about supernatural expressions of faith. Um, first, that we see really strong evidence for mystery and the supernatural events in scripture, like we see a lot. <laughs> God speaks through donkeys, right? Burning bushes, there's dreams, there's all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of it. It's very biblical. And then there's also guardrails, if I could use that terminology, like warnings we see in scripture about what we are not to do when it comes to the supernatural. In Deuteronomy 18, it says, let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, yikes, uh, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, catches, casts spells, or who's a medium or spiritist who, or who consults with the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. These were practices of the surrounding pagan culture in the Old Testament, um, ways that the culture would manufacture engagement with the supernatural realm. And God makes it real clear that they are to rely on him and his messengers as the prophets he would send and ultimately in Jesus. But the other thing here, um, God our maker has given us really sound minds and biblical revelation. The Bible is his word, and he has already spoken to us very clearly through it. This doesn't discount the value of hearing God's voice in mysterious ways, but it's important that we be anchored in Scripture and not live our lives like spiritual addicts almost, waiting for another word or message from God when he's given us his word and we can receive revelation from it always. God, who gave us our minds, is pleased when we use them, even gets angry when we neglect them, and it's unwise to accept without question any compulsion that comes our way, right? There have been times in my life where I have sensed God saying something to me, um, but I'm not convinced it's actually God. So if I'm sharing it, which I do that with good portions of wisdom, wisdom is helpful here, because not all things need to be shared, right? But I feel like if I need to process or if I'm sensing that I need to share something that God is saying to me, I do it with a good measure of room. Like, was that the pizza that I had last night? Was that me? <laughs> was that God? Often I will say, if I'm sharing it, maybe the pizza I had last night, but I think God might be saying this. He'll confirm what he's speaking. And if it's for someone else, I always encourage them to go back to the Lord and talk to the Lord about it. All of the things people give for us should be taken back to God. Any word or message that comes from God will never ever contradict scripture. So knowing the Bible helps us be the best interpreters of his voice when it meets us in supernatural ways. But it will meet us in supernatural ways. He is still speaking. Now, I cannot tell you how many times um, people have had words from me that were not helpful. I don't think they were from the Lord, right? But learning to receive that is something I've gotten better at, I would say more comfortable with. The enthusiast part of me longs for this. Of course I want a word from God. Of course I do. How unbelievable that the God of the universe would bring my name up if he's talking to you. That's amazing. Amazing. But my experience has taught me to take those things with a grain of salt, with a good measure of wisdom, taking all 
words, visions, pictures that someone might say the Lord gave them on my behalf. Take all of that back to him. So what might it look like to experience the mystery of faith and what are common ways to experience it? I'd like to explore dreams, expectancy, and prayer. So let's talk about dreams. Um, One of the ways God has moved and continues to move supernaturally is through dreams. Many Christians can point to one or two significant or meaningful dreams. The question is, have you had any? Would you say that's true for you? God is speaking through dreams all over the place. We see that in scripture. It's very well established in scripture. God spoke to Jacob, Joseph, Solomon, Daniel. In Joel, it says, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. We see it in the New Testament. Joseph, the Magi, Paul, Ananias, Cornelius, Peter. It's absolutely biblical for dreams. For me, this is not something that I experience often. I am a heavy sleeper. (laughs) And if I dream, they're wild. Like, I'm like, I imagine folks on LSD, I don't know, maybe this is what it's like, my dreaming, sleeping (laughs) dreams. They're incoherent, mostly. But I have had moments where I wake up and I felt like a dream that I had was significant. I've had dreams that unsettled me like worried me in a way that I felt really strongly I needed to pray for whoever that dream was about. Maybe reach out to somebody. I had another dream when uh, Justin and I were living in California. We spent a couple years in um, Orange County doing ministry there. We had no intention of moving back to Fort Collins, definitely no intention to move back to Colorado. And it was in that season when I had a dream, a vivid dream that I was on CSU's campus doing ministry. One of the mean street preachers were there and I was there and I had a sign and I, was just, I just was holding scripture, that was it. Nothing fancy. But I remember it feeling really significant, waking up thinking, man, if I get a chance to do that, I'll do it. We had no plans on being back here. Fast forward a couple years, I'm on staff here at Timberline directing young adults and we're praying about launching a college ministry, Timberline College. I recalled the dream felt more clearly that it was something that needed to be pursued. You know, Justin had several dreams about our son, Powell. Um, His name was Powell in his dreams before he was ever here. And the night before our 20-week ultrasound, which is a big deal, it is always a big deal, but it felt like a big deal for us. We're sitting and we're trying to guess, you know, it's like, okay, on three, he's like, one, two, three. And he's like, boy. And I said, girl, (laughs) there was a boy. Little did I know he had inside intel on that one. He'd already had dreams and didn't tell me about them yet. Wild. One of my uh, best friends, Hillary, uh, she regularly has supernatural dreams. Regularly. She had dreams she was dating her husband before she ever would consider, would have considered dating her husband. She had several dreams on my behalf about our family. It was a long and painful journey growing our family. And something Hillary and I actually connected on really deeply was this idea of longing. Um, She was longing and waiting for a husband, and I was longing and waiting for a baby. And through that time, our seasons being different, despite that, the kind of um, hope deferred makes the heart sick, if you're familiar with that proverb, that kind of connecting that we had really knit us together. 
And she had a dream that I would be pregnant at her wedding. And then fast forward, I'm six months pregnant, standing next to her on her wedding day. It was rich. It was palpable almost how sweet it was. Dreams can warn us, prepare us, provide insight or direction, encouragement or rebuke. God speaking through a dream is consistent with his nature. He's always pursuing us, speaking to us while we sleep. It's not too crazy. Wooing our finite minds with his infinite glory. Of course he would. Of course he could. God has things to say to us. Often we're distracted. Uh, We're too busy, too hurried, too stressed to listen. Easily frazzled occupied with our own agendas. It's not hard to lose our listening ears, our seeing eyes, to look for him. And dreams are a way that God can break through to us. I have a friend who was raised in a traditional Muslim home in the Middle East. Jesus revealed himself to her through a dream, and she didn't know any Christians really. And it's a phenomenon we see happening throughout Muslim communities, and of course, he would. And again, it's helpful to have caution for this because there might be a tendency to fall on one side of a spectrum or the other, maybe extremes. One is to disregard that God could ever use dreams at all, completely disregard them, or to swing the other way and get obsessed with them. We can't and shouldn't just seek dreams for their own sake, right? Our faith is not a circus attraction. And there are many places that you know, say that they can interpret dreams. And biblically, I would say the biblical precedent here would indicate that you don't need to seek that out. If God is speaking, you will wake up with the understanding. In the Bible, you know, members outside of the faith needed someone from within the community of faith to interpret their dreams. We see this in Joseph. We see this with Daniel. But then you see instances like Paul who woke up and the interpretation was clear in his mind when he woke up. So I would just say that to say, if you aren't sure if you had a dream and you aren't sure if it's from God and you don't know what the interpretation would mean when you wake up, that you hold that really loosely. You hold that with a grain of salt. You pray about it. You take it back to God to confirm it. The prolific Christian author from the third century, uh, Tertullian, believed that dreams come from three sources, the natural workings of our soul, demons, or God. The natural working of our soul probably account for 98% or more of our dreams, right? It's our subconscious selves feeling and working out all of our fears, our stresses, our anxieties. If that's true, it's helpful to pay attention to that list. The two out of the three sources of dreams could very well lead us astray. It would be unwise to allow ourselves to be guided by a dream if it could be just our subconscious selves or a demon, right? Again, it's where we need wisdom. Of the ways God speaks most frequently and predictably, our first place to go is scripture. It is reading the Bible, being comfortable in its pages, becoming learners of it. But when it comes to dreams, I want to encourage you to pay attention to them. Maybe start writing them down. Um, Start assessing your own 
posture? Are you open to God speaking to you through dreams? Do you want that? Because he can. The next part of this idea of mystery in our faith is expectancy and prayer. What's your level of expectancy when it comes to your relationship with God? I don't mean predictability, which is maybe what we would think of when you think of the word expectant or expected, but rather the posture or the belief that you will see God move in your midst, even in an unexpected way. Expecting God to show up um, completely changes how we pray and what we pray for, right? So how big are your prayers right now? That's the question. How big are they? What might it look like for you to circle some new territory, to dream some big dreams, start asking God for something wild and tangible, risky even? If God said yes to everything that you're praying for right now, um, would your life look any different? If God said yes to everything you prayed for, would your relationships, your family, your work, your world look any different? The enthusiast needs this kind of expectancy in their faith. Seeing God move in visible ways is really, really important to the enthusiast. When something feels insurmountable, what might it look like to leave room for God to show up? I have a prayer wall in my office. It started as something small. Perfect. There's a picture of it today. Light's pretty nice. It's my office. Uh, it started actually as that, the thing you see on the right, that little one. That's what it started as, and then it got bigger. But what you see is there's kind of three sections. I have a section of prayers, a section of answers, and a section of what I would call miracle things that I would call miracles. Um, I started this maybe because I felt like I'm not a very good prayer because <laughs> I need helpful, tangible reminders. And I want to think of like, what are some dreams? What are some things that are big? What are some things I can't do on my own that I could start praying for and asking for and circling? And it was a practice that I started and I'm a visual person. So that's helpful for me. And so that's what I did. And I started putting some things on there that felt like I'm like, ooh, this is scary. I shouldn't put this on there. This is big. Um, when, before we launched Timberline College, I remember dreaming and I was like, I need a team of people. I need a team of people to do it with. And I don't have anyone. I particularly need a male to do it with me. And I didn't have anyone. And so I remember I was like, okay, I'm going to spend a year. I want to spend a year recruiting a team of people who want to hang out with college students and do ministry. Like I'm going to spend a year. And then I was like, what's the dream? Like, what's the big dream? And at that time, again, I felt like I didn't know anyone. I didn't know how that was going to happen. I didn't know how I was going to recruit a team. And so I remember I wrote on my prayer wall, uh, Timberline College leader team, and then the number 12. I was like, Whew, that's big. 12 people is a lot of people when I feel like I can't get one person. <laughs> Fast forward, and I'm in my mind thinking, I have a year to recruit my team. Two months later, we launched Timberline College with 12 leaders on the team. It was unbelievable. I was shocked. I remember putting on my prayer wall um, prayers for a house. We wanted to buy a house, and it was in 2016, which is a brutal time. I mean, I guess it's always a brutal time in the market. Any real estate agents out there? Um, it was wild. But I remember, I think we held the, the record for the most pre-qualification letters. It was like our 16th offer by the time we were able to get one. We were offering crazy amounts over, and I was like, this, isn't, this is not happening. Like, we were offering on, like, condos, little ones, and we were not getting them. I was like, this is not 
happening. And I really wanted to live in Fort Collins. Like I just really wanted to live in Fort Collins. We had talked about living in one of the surrounding areas. And I was like, man, I just might really dream is Fort Collins. And I remember writing on my prayer wall, um, house, like three bed, two bath house. Again, uh, we weren't getting condos. So my, my faith was mustard seed sized. Like I was like, ah, it's the dream. That feels big. That's and I didn't even put in Fort Collins because I didn't believe that it, if we were going to get a house, I was like, there's no way it's going to be in Fort Collins. Fast forward, we, we 16th offer, had a four bedroom, two and a half bath house in the center of Fort Collins. I was shocked. I put it on my miracle side of things. I've prayed for healing. Um, I've prayed for babies, mine included. I prayed for husbands, for jobs, for um, provision, for purpose, for so many things that felt big to ask for. It's a way of creating room for expectancy. And again, that's a feel free to steal the idea. You want to make a prayer wall, go for it. But that was a thing that I tangibly did to leave room for expectancy. If you're an enthusiast or you want to explore growing expectancy, I want you to start asking yourself what feels big, what feels risky, what might it look like to start dreaming and create pockets of prayer in your life, learning to trust God to come through for you in unexpected ways. And as a potential warning for any enthusiasts or maybe enthusiasts in here is what do you do with the unanswered? or the answered, not how you wanted to be answered, prayers. Sometimes the yeses are so exciting that they can be addicting. You're like, yes, 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 ah, awesome. But when the answer to our prayers or to our longings or to our dreams is no, it can be disorienting. In that case, we have to be careful. We have to be aware, to be mindful of our tendencies towards entitlement or pride. We have to watch our disappointment. Disappointment is a completely normal response to these circumstances. But how you handle your disappointment, what you do with your disappointment is really important. Do you run towards God in grief or with lament? Or do you run away from God in frustration? Maybe towards numbing out. When God says no, or when he says nothing, we remember he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His mercies are new every day. He is faithful. He is God, and we are not. You may never understand the whys behind the no's or the silence from God in a circumstance. In those moments of my life, I pressed hard into counseling. Highly recommend it. Very pro. Very pro. I pressed hard into community. And I started praying specifically for perspective, that God would give me perspective. You know, Jeff Lucas, Pastor Jeff Lucas, tells the story of riding in a plane with his son when he was little and they were in the exit row. And his son was really intrigued by that big red lever that you see in the exit row, really wanted to pull it. Like, looks pretty fun, Dad. Really want it, really want that, really want to pull it. <laughs> and Dad, Jeff, said, Nope, you, not a good idea. Not a good idea, because he's a good dad and a good citizen, right? But he knew what was on the other side of the door. His son didn't. 
In the same way, sometimes God knows what's on the other side of the door that we don't. We don't have his perspective. And so instead, we pray God would increase our trust in his leadership, and we surrender. Be careful and aware of your response to your unanswered prayer. You know, this thing, this whole part of the enthusiast was really interesting um, as what God was just teaching me, preparing me for tonight. You know, my um, counselor always says, like, if I'm teaching something, it's usually because God wants to teach me something. So I don't know if you get anything out of it, but the Lord had stuff to say to me (laughs) for sure. I started having conversations with people asking them, man, do you have, have you had dreams? Have you had significant dreams? Are you comfortable with this mystery of faith and the whole idea of the movement of the Holy Spirit in different ways? Just asking, having really interesting conversation with people. And I've had multiple moments over the last few weeks and the last few months where I felt pressed to ask for the Holy Spirit, to ask for dreams or words or visions. And I wonder if you're in that place where you haven't had much experience with this stuff, or maybe you're like me and kind of just freaky a little bit. My question is, have you ever asked? Our teaching team had, I'm on the teaching team at Timberline, I'm privileged to be on that, and we had a kind of academy or like an inspiration moment where we heard from Barry Black, who is the U.S. Senate chaplain, and in our time, he shared that he prays Luke 11, 13, over himself every single day. And he asks for the Holy Spirit, Luke, um, in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, it says, which of you fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Maybe this is something you could start, praying Luke eleven thirteen and asking for it, to open your posture to see how he might show up. Now, I want to spend um, some more time talking about the other hallmark feature of the enthusiast, to which I resonate deeply, and that is celebration. Yes? Celebration? Celebration? Party people! <laughs> Right? I was nervous about that. Mm. I was asking Justin today, what's the song that everyone will instantly want to dance to? That's what I came to. I saw a little bit of movement. Could have used more from you guys, but that's all right. I'll let it be. (laughs) Uh, Celebration. It's a key, key part of being an enthusiast. It's for me something I deeply connect with, for sure. It's how I knew it was what I was. I always want to celebrate. My 2020 New Year's resolution, which is ironic because 2020 was pretty sad. Um, For us, all of us as a year, for me, it was actually great personally. I don't have to say much about that. Anyway, 2020, my New Year's resolution was I wanted to outrageously celebrate the big events in people's lives around me. Uh, I might talk to you about my friend Hillary. She got married that year. I was the maid of honor, so I was going to go big. Like, I'm going to go big. I did go big. All of my parental units had milestone birthdays. Again, I want over the top. COVID put a damper a bit on some of that, even though I did have a Mexican-themed karaoke birthday party for my dad, and I did make a character of his face printed on a large poster. I did. I did do that. (laughs) But I wanted to make sure that I had opportunities to share meaningfully. What do we appreciate about this person? What reminds us of them? How have they impacted us? 
I wanted to really get thoughtful about it. And then I wanted to go big, hype, pizzazz, thoughtful, meaningful. I want to be a person in life who celebrates well. I joked with my dear friend, Pastor Bob Steele, about becoming a celebration coach because I love it so much. And that's a hallmark feature of the enthusiast. The enthusiast and their desire to celebrate lends itself to doing that with others. Apparently, the enthusiast pathway is, tends to be more relational, where the aesthetic pathway that Christian wants to get alone and connect with God, the enthusiast usually wants to gather around others, as many people as possible, and this can be a holy experience for them. One of the reasons I love my prayer wall so much, if we can, can we put that back up for a second? I don't know if I could do that. But one of the reasons I love my prayer wall so much is because it allows me to see the ways that God has answered me, that God has shown up for me. When I sit down to pray for new things, I am reminded of the ways he's heard me before. It's become almost kind of like an Ebenezer, a reminder, a physical reminder for me that he has been good to me personally. I recently transitioned from the role I was in about almost seven years of doing young adult ministry to this new connections role that I'm trying to figure out. How do people get connected? You know, how do people belong? Doing small groups, that's relatively new. But the last um, day that I was in my role as young adults, I had a full day where I just wanted to commemorate and celebrate. I saved it. I wanted to make it a whole thing. So I did a few things to do this. I pulled out a file that I started very beginning of working here. I call it my rainy day file. Um, I started keeping it for moments that are hard. Rainy days on the job, if you will. Um, moments when I wonder why I do this. <laughs> Wanting to quit. And in it, I save letters. I save encouragements that people have given me over the years in my role here. And so on that day, last day, I pulled it out and I read them all. It's my rainy day file. And then I chose my favorite photos of, of ministry and relationships that I'd made, and I made a new poster for that in my office. I'm a big photo person. I loved my photos. And then I spent the rest of the time with my prayer wall, intentionally reading over all the places that God had answered my prayers, um, the places he heard me that I forgot that he'd heard me. <laughs> for the places he showed up, I intentionally celebrated. I've heard people talk about how difficult it is for them to celebrate or maybe how uncomfortable celebrating makes them feel. Many people find the call to celebrate is more difficult to obey than maybe the call to sacrifice. <laughs> oh. How difficult is it for you? When was the last time you intentionally celebrated? What did that look like? Celebration also has a pretty wide setting in scripture. There are major festivals prescribed in the Old Testament along with other religious celebrations. Some of them were wildly elaborate. Um, for those of you who are part of Wednesday nights when we did our series on the festivals, um, you can maybe recall this, but there was a festival of tabernacles. It was a seven-day celebration where the Israelites are commanded to rejoice. <laughs> There's corporate celebration. And then we see individual spontaneous celebration. We famously see David, the man after God's own heart, dancing, doing a lot of dancing, wearing little clothing, apparently. This is what it's, we, we read in 2 Samuel. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. 
And while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of slave girls and his servants, his vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house. When he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. You know, David appointed musicians regularly to celebrate through worship. We see it in First Chronicles. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. Or again, also in First Chronicles, David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs, with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. <laughs> we see Jesus participating with his disciples and singing hymns. And in Luke 19, the triumphant entry when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey as king, it says this, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd gathered and began to joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were being too loud, ruckus. <laughs> the religious leaders complained about their celebrating. And so Jesus responds, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It's beautiful imagery, and the statement is actually pretty convicting. If we keep quiet, the stones will cry out. We have reason to worship and celebrate. And at our lack of doing that, the stones are literally bursting. Celebration and worship go hand in hand. Another um, form of celebrating, if I could say it like that, is creating. Creating to view life, our one and only life, as a gift given to us by God, not to waste, but instead to spend, to utilize, um, to contribute in ways only we can, only you can. We often think of creativity, you think of art, right, immediately. Maybe you're quick to think how you don't have any creativity. I studied visual art at CSU, and I am what people would consider a creative in a classical sense. There was a season in my life that I spent working at one of those sip and paint places. Have you guys seen those? Um, you go, you spend $40, you leave with a completed painting, and I am the Bob Ross doing that step by step. You know, percentages of paint, inches, I'm helping you out. Helping you out. You ever been to any of those? Some of you guys know? Okay. Got a couple of people. You know what I'm talking about. It was really fun. It was a really fun job, um, but it was so sad for me to listen to the way people would talk about themselves, their self-talk that would, um, gosh, they were just terrified. They were terrified to paint. If I had a dollar for every person who made statements about how bad they were at art, how they couldn't draw a stick figure, how they didn't have a creative bone in their body, some of you probably say these things, I'm talking to you. If I had a dollar for every time someone said that, I would have a lot of dollars. Let me just say that. 
the thing is, we're all creative. We were made in the image of a creator. We are creative. Our God is a maker. It is in his nature to create. The Bible is literally bookended with images of God as the maker, God breathing life and everything in Genesis 1 to the new heaven and new earth in Revelation. It's framed around God creating. And healthy Christians, dare I say it, healthy Christians create. Not all um, painters or poets also building businesses, neighborhoods, families, living rooms, Bible studies, gardens, communities. We are creators with the spirit of God living in us. We can participate in the holy act of creating. Dare I say, it's what we were made to do, participating with God. So the question is, what are you creating? The sweet spot of that of that work, when you find the place where creating for you feels like an act of worship. It feels like celebrating, it feels beautiful. I think of the Pixar movie, Soul. Did any of you guys see the Pixar movie, Soul? Okay, (laughs) yes, only one. This is really gonna be for you. This is gonna fall flat for everybody else. There's this point in Soul where it shows people who get in the zone, they're singing, they're musicians, they're artists, they're painters, and it depicts this, of they're in this kind of zone when they're creating. It's worship is what it is. Moments of worship. There's a beauty in creative expression that's worshipful. Now, what I'm not saying, maybe should clarify, I'm not saying you should go out and do something you know that you are not good at. (laughs) I am not saying you should leave and all go draw portraits after this. That is very hard. Um, It's going to likely lead to frustration, and I would say frustration is a very effective wet blanket for adoration. (laughs) Let's say that. But I do want to challenge us to examine the places and spaces that you occupy and consider what is something that you can make for the glory of God. How can you use your mind, the work of your hands, your ideas to bring something new? What might that look like for you? Another component um, to celebration for the enthusiast is getting together with others. You know, Gary Thomas shared in this book about how important it is. There's a story um, about a pastor who he went to go pray. He went away to go pray, to have some time alone with the Lord, just a retreat alone, and he couldn't do it. He spent hardly any time, just like, I'm out. A couple hours, couldn't stay the night, definitely didn't stay the full weekend, and he was confiding in this pastor, a friend of his, like how much of a terrible pastor he was downtrodden. And the pastor responded, "Um, have you ever thought about bringing people with you to do that? He said, is that even legal? I can bring people with me to do that. The beauty of the sacred pathways is this approach that we connect with God in different ways. And Gary Thomas said this, he says, does God really care whether you pray better in a group or alone or simply that you're praying? Is he concerned with whether you'd rather worship while taking a walk through the woods, strolling through a museum, or hold up in an antiseptic room all by yourself, or simply that you're worshiping? Is he upset if someone finds Bible study in a Beth Moore group setting more profitable than being alone with his or her commentaries and Bible dictionaries? Or is he more concerned that the word is a daily part of every believer's life? 
I love that. Enthusiasts enjoy more time with others than without. And they may pray or worship most vibrantly in a group. And so if it's you, don't feel bad. Lean into it. Ask some people to join you in retreat, in worship, or prayer. For the enthusiasts in our lives, or the enthusiasts maybe in the room, if you feel like that's you, I want to encourage you to cultivate the mystery, to nurture the joy, to release yourself, to release the people, to be over the top, to let the positivity bleed. Sometimes life can squeeze the joy out faster than it can be refilled. Our culture is full of cynicism. We are worn out, we are stressed, we are angry, we are hurried, we are tired. And enthusiasts can bring something different. We can point to faith and hope and gosh, how we need it. Where some might roll their eyes or find this temperament to be obnoxious or naive or immature, remember, it's a gift. It's a gift. Let's believe in God and expect him to move. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray for the places where um, we believe, but we have a tendency to lapse into kind of a practical atheism almost. Believing in you, but not expecting to see you move in our lives in tangible or supernatural ways. And so, God, just forgive us for our unbelief. I pray you would stir our hearts again to believe, to celebrate, and to worship you as we do. And God, I pray right now, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and meet us, that you would come to speak, that you would reveal yourself in your heart, that you would do it through dreams, words, visions. Give us wisdom and discernment. I pray you would help us to become learners, um, learners of your word, and that you'd use it to speak to us. And I pray for joy, for celebration, for moments we can look back and see your fingerprints and declare that you are good, that we have seen you in the land of the living. You are worthy, God, of our worship. We love you. Amen. Amen.